please. Sorry for the wait. Number, please. Okay, I'll connect you. I'm not sure. No, you're the first one to... Yes, we'll let them know. Thank you. Number, please. Yes, we're notifying Highway Patrol. Uh, we'll relay any news to you. Thank you, thank you. Number, please. Sorry for the wait. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Thank you, goodbye. People are saying there's something in the sky. Seven forty-five. Write that down. Can't you just record it? Yeah, folks. It is 7.45 p.m. and we may have something that'll need some explaining oh, here in Santa Fe. Oh, what? There is something in the sky. We followed it from Colt Canyon. I, I'm Bernie. I'm going by Gerald now. Please call me Gerald. I'm, I'm Everett. This is Faith. We just had the power cut off at the radio Where station. Where is it? Oh, radio station? Yeah, yeah. I do have a hit to 7 to 11. We drove 80 miles an hour all the way from down here. Yeah, podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to a new year, a new series, but the same old hosts. Here on that podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week, and especially this year, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is you know him, you love him, fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And he was here a second ago, guys, but he had to go ask uh, his wife what bacon bacon 940 meant, which is a... I don't know. I mean, I like bacon, especially twice, uh, 940 in the morning, 940 in the I don't know. I don't know exactly what he was trying to decipher there, but maybe he'll inform us upon his return. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you into a chance to do 2020 all over again, by which I mean the second installment of our 2020-2020 series, looking at some vestiges of the year we all want to forget horror movie offerings. Last week, we began this series snowed in at the lodge, but fortunately, we had our radio so we could listen in to Paradox Theater's radio show, Vast of Night, today. But I'm getting ahead of myself, because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web, at the fear of God podcast.com where you'll find Reed. Hey, 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 hey buddy. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome back. Oh, I'm it's good, I'm good. It's good to you? be here. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Welcome back to the old 
TFOG, the uh, you know the, your your frights TFOG. at night. The, all the, right. the, yeah, the radio airwaves. We're we're playing all the hits yeah. tonight. We're just yeah. we're going to be cruising down. It might even be selling some of Elvis's carpet towards the end. Yeah, who knows? You know, sure. It's, it's going to be it's going to be a great time. I'm really. We let the listeners call in and tell us yeah. some stories, spin us some tales. Right, that's yeah. right. And you know what? Uh, bacon, bacon, nine forty might not be right, but you know it it sure sounds tasty. So it does. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, speaking of tasty, Reed, it's time for a little business time. Mm, so mm, that's tasty riri uh last week we released a little mini sode into the world um that outlined much like our precap of um whatever that series was we did last year Um, (laughs) whatever that was we are yeah whatever it was uh best best left forgotten um (laughs) but we are Entering into a brand new series called uh, What Scares Us slash Ultimately What Saves Us. But right now we're dealing with the What Scares Us part. And we have asked listeners to submit their stories of films or TV shows or books or, you know, whatever form of media it might have taken. Uh, A thing that scared them that got them either invested in or interested in or warded off for a little bit. Uh, from the horror genre, we want to hear those stories. So, Reed, how can people right now uh, engage in this and or respond to this series? Well, the, what you want to do is go to the fearofgodpodcast.com, fearofgodpodcast.com. Either uh, the or not will take you there. Just fearofgodpodcast.com. Click on the banner on the top. That'll take you to a little form and a little blurb about the form, kind of re-explaining this. And you just want to tell us your name, your email address, and and your story uh, in as many or as few words as you want to give us. And uh, so that's that's where you can submit that entry. I do want to encourage listeners uh, that you can, uh, if you have already submitted one, you're not limited. Like, the world is open to you. We are open to you. So you can submit... <laughs> A second, a third. Um, if you want to get really ambitious and submit twenty, I, we love you. But let, let's 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 keep it, yeah. you know, keep it keep it a little under, you know, s- some some degree of control. Single digits but at least. S- single digits is is good. Um, but by all means, if you've already submitted one, don't feel like, oh shoot, I should have gone and submitted this other one. Well, do it, do it again. Go go click on the banner. Uh, go to the form again. Fill it out again. We'll get it. Uh, because what I've seen come through with some of the submissions that have already been given to us is um, we are getting quite a few, just some really great stories uh, that I've been really excited to read, and I'm grateful that the listeners have shared. Uh, but the ratio of like material we haven't yet covered on the show is maybe one out of every five. So I do want to encourage listeners as well to you know be thinking of something that like, oh, I really hope the fear of God covers X or Y. Uh, by all means, keep that uh, in mind if you want to include that into your submissions as well. But we're some of these that are coming in already are really uh, fun and exciting, and I'm really looking forward to the series. Well, and I wanted to add a wrinkle to the submissions, if I may, because oh, this occurred really? to me as, as some of them have been coming in. Um, especially some of the spouses that I know who may not listen ardently to the show, but are, are horror fans in and of themselves. So if you have submitted and your spouse is a horror fan as well, uh, what's fun about, uh, to me, about this particular series is unlike, say, you know, voting for, 2020 2020 that was it that's what that series was uh instead of voting for 2020 2020 um where you kind of had to know movies uh, there aren't any real specific things you have to know in this scenario it's that's a just good point all you have right. to know is your experience 
of mm-hmm. one thing that one time. So, right. you know, if your spouse uh, is a horror fan or, or adjacent to it, uh, feel free to have them submit their story as well. And we will probably share it in some fashion on the show. So that is how to get involved currently with this series of what scares us. We are excited about what that is yielding even already just a week in. Very um, exciting. In brief, you know the drill, guys. Write us a review on iTunes, especially if for some reason you're new this year. Welcome to the show. Uh, hope Welcome. you enjoy your time here. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, now that we got the business out of the way, Riri, it's time for a little bit of the fun. Oh. And that is... What you watching? What you reading? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Tell me about all your recent media intake. What you watching, what you reading, what you listening to. Uh, Lovely. That is the that's wonderful. very talented Jackson Harper and his rendition of the Whatcha song. Pure um, it is. I even love just the the the, the alt take on that and the media. Inter- I just, I don't it's, know. I love, I love great. that version. So thank yeah. you. It's clever lyrically. Jackson. So Riri, what is something you've been watching, reading or listening? To? So I'm still, uh, I'm still in bookland. Honestly, a lot of my, um, visual media consumption revolved around, you know, Cobra Kai, uh, which we did, uh, episodes about. And, um, you know, I've watched a few movies here and there, but, uh, but really what's been, uh, consuming a lot of my spare time has been, uh, books. I have two that I'll briefly mention, uh, one of which I have finished, the other uh, I am mostly I'm more than halfway through. Um, so the one that I finished is a book of uh, practical writing advice uh, that I highly recommend to anybody uh, who requires written communication in their day-to-day life. I mean, for your job, for uh, sending emails to people, if you are a writer, uh, I would highly recommend you check out the book by Harold Evans called Do I Make Myself Clear? Um, As the title implies, it's a book with a lot of really helpful and practical advice about how to make sure you are communicating what you want to communicate in the most effective way possible. So unlike a lot of uh, you know, writing tips and tricks books where the focus is on uh, proper grammar or proper use of punctuation or even certain uh, focal, focal points of, of style, this is very specifically a book laced around making sure your writing is clear, concise, and communicating exactly what you want it to. And I was I was so energized by reading this book. Um, it has definitely, I've seen the rules that it lays out sort of show up even in my email compositions at work, uh, in some of the things that I do that I'm just doing for fun or even blog entries and things like that that I may sometimes write. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing the rules sort of revolve around in my head and they're, and they're fantastic. It's, it's very practical. It's, it's fun to read, surprisingly, uh, as, as much as a book of composition advice can be. Um, so I highly recommend Do I Make Myself Clear by Harold Evans. I have a second book, but uh, don't want to monopolize the time if you want to volley a little bit. Uh, sure. You know, what's funny is I came into this, and I wasn't going to share this, but because of its at least mild relevance to what you're describing, I'll, I'll toss it in on the on the pile here, uh, partly because I have not finished it yet. But I started a book I got for Christmas. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's called We Need to Talk. 
Mm. I think. But the author is a woman named Celeste Headley, and she is uh, an interviewer uh, journalist with NPR. And it's just about conversation and 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 having better conversations. And and it's funny. I don't know if you ever have this, but. I intentionally kind of requested this book uh, uh, circa, you know, Christmas time as a okay, let me not do something heavy kind of book, you know, because I can tend to, to kind of drown myself in that stuff. Um, and so because of that, it's been hard to, to get the locomotion going on reading it Mm. because every now and then I'll just be like, well, you know, it's just not urgent. It's not whatever. But, and in fact, my wife was kind of like, you know, if you're not enjoying it, it was from her. (laughs) She's like, if you're not enjoying it, you know, don't feel like you have to read it. And, and, and that's fair, but I also have this real, neurosis around completionism like i hate Mm, starting a thing and not finishing it um so i decided to push forward and it has started to pick up some steam now that she's gotten into her kind of as you described it for the writing book rules but i am looking forward to to getting further into it and ultimately finishing it and maybe even utilizing some of these skills i learn on our show read to be a better conversationalist with you my friend that is fantastic so so yeah i shall have to take it i don't yeah, I thought about that so that we can better be better conversants, if that's a word. Nice. Yeah, um, that would be great. So yeah, that's my offering at the moment. What's your other? Okay, so the second book, uh, and this is one that I'm a- almost done with. I'm more than two-thirds of the way through it, but it's it's a thicker book. Um, it's by a historian and scholar named Doris Kearns Goodwin, and it's called Leadership in Turbulent Times. It's a it's a historical analysis book. I've kind of been in a mode where I'm enjoying reading thoughtful perspectives about you know uh, politics and history. Um, it, it, it's been refreshing to kind of read some more scholarly works that are not necessarily rooted in a particular thesis of opinion, but rather just trying to provide some analysis and context over things that have happened over time. So I've appreciated sure. that. Um, and so this particular book, uh, her focus is on four previous presidents, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. And she takes each of the three of each of the four of them in three sections. The first section, she talks about their early life and kind of their rise to the presidency, which is a, a lot more biography. Sure. The second section is where things get really interesting because she talks about the personal struggles and the psychology that each of those men sort of wrestled against. Uh, Abraham Lincoln Abraham Lincoln wrestled, and it's, it's widely documented at this point, wrestled with profound depression and thoughts of suicide uh, that plagued him till the end of his days. Um, Theodore Roosevelt had suffered tremendous loss and grief on a personal level that uh, largely fueled a lot of his vigor towards trying to sort of throw himself into action and getting things done to try to cope with that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt obviously was a survivor of polio and spent a good deal of time without the use of his legs um, that was largely kept hidden from the country uh, in, in as much as they could hide it. Um, and then, of course, Lyndon Johnson also wrestled with some personal sort of uh, – he, he was – it would be unfair to classify him as a workaholic, but his work ethic was on hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but, but the second section is talking about these personal battles that these individuals were facing that fueled largely their leadership style. And then in the third section, 
they talk, she talks very specifically. And like I said, this is the section I'm not completed with quite yet, but she talks very specifically about the turbulence as the title implies the turbulence that they navigated in the country at large, obviously Abraham Lincoln, the civil war, Franklin Roosevelt, the great depression. So there were, there were some significant things that these individuals also helped sort of navigate the country through uh, Lyndon. I, I'm, I haven't reached the section on Lyndon Johnson yet, but I'm assuming she's going to talk about the civil rights civil movement. Rights. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so anyway, it's, but she, she's a fantastic writer. Um, and, and admittedly, this is a, Hey, quick question. Can I, interrupt? yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. Um, um, that's not a skill in the, we need to talk, book, interrupt <laughs> your conversation partner, but, um, out of curiosity, you, your Meacham offerings and now, uh, this, uh, uh, where, uh, what, where are you, where do you tend to find the recommendations you tend to go with of what you're reading as a, for instance, most of what, like if I'm reading a book, especially of a scholarly style, right, right. you know, kind of form when they name drop people, when they reference external material, I'll jot it down. Like, Oh, well, that sounds interesting. Exactly. So that's sort of for me personally, kind of where those get generated. I'm curious for you, at least, at least, and especially with the, the subject matter you're you're indulging of late where are you finding those recommendations well i can speak specifically to meacham and kearns so meacham i i just kind of enjoyed american gospel so much what i which i had found separate i was just looking up uh for i was searching actively for books about religion in historical contexts and found that book gotcha. so and then that led me i enjoyed it so much that led me to just meet meacham's catalog so that's how i found mm -hmm. that sure. Kearns was actually a recommendation from an interview with Ethan Hawke. Um, Ethan, oh, yeah, cool. Ethan Hawke was uh, pitching. Good man. Yeah, he is. He was pitching his book, which I'm sure I've, I've earmarked as I want to check it out when uh, I think it's either already released or maybe is, is going to be released soon. Um, but I've, I've earmarked that I would like to check out his new novel. In an interview promoting his new novel, he name dropped uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin as one of his favorite writers and that she was, you know, a historian and a scholar and that her books and I, I affirm this. I agree that her books are very helpful to contextualize uh, things on a very human level and to bring things kind of into the scope. And that's what I feel like these books are really doing for me right now is I feel like so much of the conversation around politics and around political power and, and people in those positions, it feels big. It feels huge. Sure. Sure. And it feels voluminous to the degree that like you can almost attribute too much power over there or feel too afraid or too anxious about all of these different things. And I feel like for me right now, these books are serving a very uh, sort of normalizing function, reading these biographies, reading right, about right. these times, um, it's very helpful for me to hear like, no, these are the rhythms and the political machinations and the failures and triumphs of these individuals in these particular times. And um, and that's just been very encouraging in the sense of just, I mean, good scholarship helps. I mean, we don't talk about very much, but just being present with good scholarship in nearly any field is a helpful sure. and productive yeah. thing. Um, so, so I think just, uh, coming across that again, removed from, there's a ton of political books out there right now that if they are about current events are going to be very, very opinionated. That's not, I'm not making a judgment on whether or not that's a good or bad thing because it's hard not to be opinionated in this age. 
what I'm being drawn to are let me learn about the times 50, 60, 100 years ago where we're far enough removed from it that we can look at it with a more objective, critical eye. We don't have to paint people as saints. We don't have to villainize them as monsters. We can just look at these are the choices that were made and the impact of those choices on the country and the people around it. And that's just been very helpful to a lot of, uh, large degree. So It's funny. Um, I know the intention wasn't to hang out quite this long in watches, but, but this is good. So yeah. another... I wasn't going to reference the book I referenced. What I was going to reference that that eerily ties into what you're describing is I did recently watch the documentary uh, MLK FBI. I've heard of um, that documentary. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it is. Um, I wouldn't say it's a sort of transformative viewing experience, but it was weird for me to to so esteem MLK. And yet realize, wow, I've, I've heard so little of his actual, um, speechifying and, mm, and mm. like, there's a ton of just actual footage of, of him and, yeah. and, and speeches of his and, uh, but the, but the film itself is actually very fascinating and, and kind of worth, worth a watch to, to kind of any of our listeners and to you as well, I would encourage. So the documentary is just, as you would imagine, examining this intersection of when uh the fbi uh, uh j edgar hoover is that right mm, yeah mm-hmm. um they they just made it their mission to utterly dismantle him uh, wow. and 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 what's fascinating about the film and what that and what it does to you and i people like you and i i'm i'm saying what it does for someone like me and, and i know you well enough to know i think you would resonate with this too is this because because um if you've done much research into mlk you will learn very quickly like all humans he was very flawed absolutely and, yes. and and this movie is not about shoring up goodwill toward mlk it's about examining when an arm of the government l- leveraged the entirety of its power to to crush one man's uh uh work and and the movement that he was birthing through his work so so that's the examination of the film but what it does by consequence of warts and all is you i I'll, i'll personalize it i in the way that has happened these last years as well you you're forced to wrestle with one person's wrongs weighed against one per that same person's righteousness and absolutely and, and, absolutely. Mm-hmm. and, and the wrestling that can create in an, uh, in an appropriate and healthy way, you know, sure, not right, in a, right. Oh my God, my idols are broken. Although maybe right. that should be the case for mm-hmm. us, but, mm-hmm. but just this really fascinating push pull, you know, I, I, I will say, of MLK, at least what the, the documentary paints and of, of the historical picture I've understood over time. Um, there's a bit of a, a, a disparity between his, um, side life as it were, and Mm. some of the fallen heroes that we would have pointed to and said, what I'm trying to state real explicitly 
Um, the things MLK embarked upon in his side life were of consenting variety, whereas yeah. a lot of the quote unquote people we'd look to today who have suffered some s- terrible fall from grace, like, oh, you abused power. Right. You right. could make a case that maybe MLK did that to a degree, but that's not the picture that's painted. It's more just he, he, he was a had dalliances. <laughs> Yes. Yes. yes yeah. did. Well, uh, and, but anyway, very fascinating um, and and a worthwhile sort of historical yeah. and even as a spiritual person examination of of yeah. kind of a hero of a hero of the country and of the faith. Right. Uh, really, an interesting Absolutely. examination. Before we leave this subject, and I know, like, uh, so yeah, <laughs> welcome yeah, to welcome to uh, uh, watch and read and listen to everybody. Um, so just just to comment on that, I almost I've been that particular thing that you just described the notion of wrestling with the flaws of people it might be easy to sort of put on a pedestal or mm-hmm. uh, you know if we want to go there idolize um, that is something that has very much been on my mind of late in recognizing that we as individuals will frequently cast verdicts upon ourselves or the people in our lives by the most recent victory or failure that we've encountered so in a very real sense, uh, if you have, if you are just navigating your life and you say the wrong thing in the wrong context to a person that you care about and love and hurt or damage them, it can be really easy to begin just seeing yourself in light of that bad choice or in light of what you've, you know, uh, wrought there. Particularly if it happens, uh, you know, kind of in quick succession throughout the course of a few weeks. You say something that's hurtful, you are inconsiderate or something like that. And then there may come another day where your compassion or your uh, kind word in the moment saves the day. And it it can be really, really difficult to see ourselves in the proper light, which is not as binary or a monolith. We are not, you know, the these, you know, wholly good or wholly wicked individuals. We have a lot of complexity of those choices swirling around in us. And the historical figures, the people of some notoriety or prominence that we would look at, they are also of that same variety. Um, sure. My final statement on this subject, and then maybe we can move in you know, out of this and, and on into our film, because I am excited to talk about the film, um, is uh, that... I had said, and I've said this on the show before, I've referenced this on the show, that uh, during the, when Billy Graham passed away, and Mm -hmm. I grew up in a culture which very much put Billy Graham on a pedestal and idolized him. And uh, it can be very uh, sort of jarring to look at so much of the things that that is a part of his legacy that is not quite, you know, worthy of, adoration and 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 accolades um and i was in this very specific tension where a couple of my friends on facebook were kind of throwing some things back and forth uh about how they felt about billy graham and what i did was i tried to express i wrote a blog post about it but i tried to express that i think all of us will leave more than one legacy period we are all going to leave a legacy of people to whom we owe apologies and people to who would express to us gratitude. I think, by and large, the hope is that there's uh, more 
gratitude expressed for the contribution and the deposits that we put into the world and that that be the focal point of our efforts, then people to whom we owe apologies. I think that's that's everybody's should be everybody's quest. Sure. But we are not going to be able to escape the fact that there are some people who we we will have to apologize for maybe in a way that we won't ever get the opportunity to because of how we've either unknowingly or possibly knowingly hurt, damaged, detrimented their life and well-being in ways we didn't calculate. Um, and I think yeah. recognizing that is a humbling and I would say almost vital importance to put in your mind and spirit of just recognizing like, yeah, there, there are going to be things I get right and there are going to be things I get wrong. The things that I get wrong are going to be hurtful to people, maybe people I love. The things I get right will maybe be helpful. And, uh, and, and that's what we try to aim towards rather than seeing ourselves in what I consider to be an unhealthy way of making a, a monolith or a binary position between those two poles. So anyway, that was all of those things just expressing from the conversation we're having. What you watching? What you reading? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Tell me about all your recent media intake. What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Uh, thank you so much, Jackson Harper, for your lovely rendition. We are much uh, appreciative of it. Riri, so yes, sir. today we vent, turn, turn off your lamp. I'm going to turn mine off here so that. You know, oh, we're going to go. I'm too. Wow. Reed, I'm too far there? away from it. That's very cool. That's a very cool Isn't visual effect. Kind of fun. Yeah. All right. But I'm too far so away. From it. It's literally like it's way over there. It's all good. The moment has passed. Um, it's it's vast of night. It is. It's vast. <laughs> it's a vast of night. So we are discussing today. Andrew Patterson, the writer and director of the Amazon exclusive, which That's right. In case you're unsure, means only to be found on Amazon. The film the vast of night. See, that's exactly that's exactly what I was trying to contextualize for listeners. A multitude what? of things can be found mm-hmm. on Amazon for rent. Right. A What's multitude of things. This one you can't rent. You have to pay for a Prime subscription if you want to watch it. You can't rent it. If you are not a Prime member, you can't watch it. That's why I was trying to say an Amazon right. Prime exclusive, unlike the multitude of things that you can rent on Amazon without being a Prime <laughs> member. You have to be. You have to be a prime member. Hey, man! I listen. It's beneficial to receive the same information multiple times in different ways. It helps. So what I mean click. by exclusive. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just oh, so when you say exclusive, do you mean I can also go find it on Hulu? Yeah, to the exclusion of all other platforms. <laughs> oh, oh! I am. I get it now. Oh, all right. Does. So yes, on Amazon via Amazon Prime only. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think Bezos needs another penny or two, here you go. Wow, Here's how we do it? <laughs> this movie's um, this movie's certainly worth a free trial at least. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> like, certainly. So, suddenly, it became this you know Very banner for weighty thing, you know, flag, flagrant capitalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> the vast so of night. the vast of night and read. Who does this star? Uh, so man, it stars two people, right. two yeah, people primarily. Uh, that is Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. Uh, they largely carry the film. There are other key players whose contributions we'll get into are significant. I think that's you know this would maybe fall under my likes dislikes category, but I think the tone surrounding even the supporting performances here is just incredible. 
but the the film is largely carried on the shoulders, not exclusively, but almost, uh, of Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz, who do outstanding work. Yeah, I don't think that's an unfair statement to yeah. the other members of this cast at all. Yeah, it's it, the, but their work in this is is absolutely incredible. I have to confess. Do it before we get into this. Exclusively here, everyone. Exclusively, he's going to confess. Um, my excitement about this film is perhaps to the degree that I'm a little concerned the conversation may go all over the place or that I won't be able to wrangle it down. I, I freaking love this movie. I love, I love everything about it. <laughs> I love everything about it. And I am concerned in a very small way, but sincere way that like my energy around my affection for it is going to like make it a clunky conversation. So just listeners know that. You know, out I mean, the gate uh we're just man. we're still getting the wheels back on for the new sure, year like sure, I, I do exactly, not feel exactly. no need to apologize sure um for the rambling that yeah. we're now ready for you to do um <laughs> but no this is a this is an outstanding movie. well i'll tell you this i don't have any scares on my list um, oh i got a couple and are we, okay yeah okay well yeah. that's good to hear so so um interestingly there's very little you know imdb kind of trivia type stuff did you have right. any that you really just wanted had, to discuss just had two um the main thing was uh of course the radio station is called wotw which is a direct call out to the legendary uh broadcast by orson wells of war of the worlds and for those who may not know what i'm referring to there was a a broadcast uh by orson wells of the novelization uh, the novel war of the worlds uh but the the version of the broadcast that they tried to do was kind of like a bit of uh surreal theater where mm-hmm. they would interrupt musical performances and they would interrupt uh you know as a standard news update but Orson Welles was narrating that aliens were taking over and the reason this is historically significant is because Many, many people who were just listening in their homes and had not captured the beginning of the broadcast where this was a staged radio play thought this was really happening. And there was a small and bit of And then when Tom Cruise showed up in it and you're just like, oh, and everybody was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. So, uh, that obviously that broadcast of War of the Worlds is kind of significant. Uh, in in radio history, and uh, I love the fact that the radio station, uh, particularly because this film deals spoiler alert with extraterrestrials and everything, that it was uh, um, uh, called WOTW. Also, the film had me. This is a trivial bit, uh, but it, it pivots into a like dislike. This film had me from like thirty seconds in by the fact that it opens as a deliberate kind of echo. Mm-hmm. of Rod Serling's opening of A Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and is kind of presented to the degree that, I mean, this is a film, but to the degree that um, uh, Patterson, who actually took on a, a, a pseudonym for his writing credit of James Montague, uh, but Andrew Patterson and his co-writer Craig Sanger, they are credited as teleplay writers, that the teleplay was... Uh, well... Yeah, go ahead. I don't know if... You'd originally told me this or not, or because after I saw it the first time, I did go read some interviews that I did not refresh myself of. But mm. the original conceit was: could you do a feature length audio only presentation? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and like that was the initial conceit. You know, they. So, for instance, Billy's extended monologue, like that was 
the germ mm. of the idea mm. was when it fades into the black and kind of that yeah. old kind of imagery of of you know i don't even know what we'd call that but so that was kind of the the, the seed of the idea that that birthed what came to be the vast of night so um so yeah i mean it's clearly owes a lot to war of the worlds and and mm. and stuff like it uh remind me i don't remember was this just uh entered your radar somehow or was it recommended to you <laughs> People who knew my sensibilities. I probably had this film recommended to me about 20 different times from 20 oh, really? different people. Yeah, because people know my sensibilities. They know my affection for The Twilight Zone. They know my affection for good sci-fi uh, and also for good, you know, unique character pieces. And so uh, I had I had heard about it and I had heard that it received a lot of praise. And then I, I'm not joking, probably 15 to 20 people, different people, some of my coworkers, uh, some friends in different circles kept saying like, have you, have you watched the vast of night yet? And, and so I was like, okay, fine, fine. I'll watch this movie. And so, like I said, I sat down just kind of thinking, oh, this should be fun, good sci-fi. And about 30 to 40 seconds in, I was like, holy crap. Yes. I, I love this. <laughs> this is, this is great. And then it just kept, and then it just kept going. I mean, we'll get into right. some of the specifics, but like my affection is immediately arrested. And then, from there, everything about the movie, its visual style, its sound design, its character work, its performances, everything about its script, the entire film just succeeded on so many levels for me that my affection and adoration of it just continued to escalate as I was watching it. Rewatching it again, I, I enjoyed it, watching it again for this conversation even more, and even like a couple of times went back and rewatched certain scenes uh, just because I loved the way the scenes played out so much. So yeah, but so my affection is just unbridled for this film. If you couldn't tell it's, it's really, really Again, you are, you are kicking in the stall. You are unbridled <laughs> brother. Um, so how about for um, you? I've talked a lot about my feelings. About well, it, so. it was your unbridled affection mm, mm, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that initiated my initial watch. So this was in fact, my second viewing for it. Um, Here's the here's the challenge is I want to rise to your energy, but I'm worried I'm not going to succeed at that. That's OK, because because any uh, um, sense of, oh, Nathan didn't like this is actually actively not the case. I will say. Ninety five percent of this movie for me is near perfection. Mm. But those five percent to me is and 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 this is a um this is not an analytical uh academic statement. It's more just a both times I noticed this happening, uh both times I watch this. I as much as I think the narrative of the film is near perfect, I think each time I'm not sure emotionally it did what I would have loved for it to do to push me over into that hundred percent. Interesting. Okay. Even sure. though, even though the, the captivating elements of those last five minutes do. So for however much it sort of starts to kind of peak a little bit yeah, and, and starts to deescalate a little, those last five minutes just are like, Holy crap. This is, yes. I can't believe I did because, and you've already spoiled it. So, so ultimately the, the narrative of the film is yes. Radio station, high schoolers. Um, it's, it's, 
it's very like Ryan Johnson brick esque. Um, mm, yeah. If, if I don't know if you've seen that, but you know, I love to break. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's noir, but instead of brick being set in the present day, it, it is set in the fifties. Uh, the best of night is, um, features these two primary characters, but it's the whole presentation that is so exceptional. Um, but it flirts throughout with, are there, is there an extraterrestrial story happening or not? Mm-hmm. Will they certifiably answer that question at the end? And that was something I really loved the first time. I was like, oh, I did not know right. that we were going to get not just a certifiable answer to that question, but the visual presentation of how they do it oh is staggering. It's, I mean, it's... Yes. I, I didn't look it up, but I imagine there was a pretty lean budget for this oh i'm sure and what they do with that probably lean budget is a bit unbelievable it is it is um the vision because i, I oh the, the i'm sorry to cut you off the, no, the no. interview the interview i did read with patterson after that first viewing he is part of some little collective wherever he's based it might have been portland or something like seattle something like that mm. um he's part of this kind of artistic collective and they've just been hashing out you know, kind of, kind of short film exercises, commercials, music video type stuff for years. Interesting. So they brought all of those kind of skills of, of doing a lot on screen with a little to sure, share sure. in a real, a real impressive fashion. So here at the front end, hear me say, I won't be able to quite rise to the energy level you'll get, but, but the degree, the hot, the tightrope act they pull off, they more or less, get to the other side without you know without getting off balance almost at all it's right. it's kind of mind-blowing what they pull it, off. it really is and i mean the because there's this great instinct undergirding the entire piece of when uh, maybe this just basically comes down to pacing to a good instinct for pacing but they know when to ramp up the energy for the narrative. They know when they're running the risk of kind of trying the viewer's patience. Sure. And then thrust you into a new, like for a while you get a pretty steady kind of rhythm at the, at the ball game and you're getting to know the characters and that's very fun. And then you have the long walk to the radio station. And then, I I mean, I'm not going to just rattle through the entire film, but I'm just to solidify two of the, the biggest examples to me. One is after that long, long shot, like nine and a half minute shot of just Sierra McCormick's character sitting at the switchboard and listening to the different things. That's a nine and a half minute, no cut take and her sitting there. And then it, it shifts from that to that absolutely galvanizing long tracking shot, four and a half minute tracking shot. Unbelievable. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Um, and so that that's you know one example that I would point to of just like yeah that's how you know like you've you've not exhausted the viewer because none of this film is exhausting but you've tested the patience of the viewer by putting us through that nine and a half minute shot so now you're going to give us something that is vastly uh, uh, <laughs> no didn't mean to use that word specifically but it is incredibly uh, visually arresting to where you're just suddenly your energy is up and then you bring it back down. Slow it down. Bring us into uh, our our time at the radio station, and eventually Billy's story and everything. And the sef- second example is following Billy's story when they realize they need to go to the library to rescue the tapes, and then when he says, 
okay, Faye, run. And then it just has all these quick cuts of her like running and everything. Yeah. Again, they've they've taxed the patience, but then they reward it with a really good sort of energizing shift in the narrative. And that carries itself throughout the course of the film, that, that wonderful rhythm, in a way that just makes the film immensely compelling, uh, uncommonly compelling, I would say. Like you are, I, <laughs> it's almost like, as little visually as happens in those quiet moments, it's a hard film for me not to keep glued my eyes to the screen, um, even though so much of the film is propelled by its audio and its sound design. Uh, it's, again, just my, my, I worry I'm getting clunky just because of how many things I dude, love and want dude, to mention. You do, but I, yeah. we, we celebrate our loves here <laughs> and, and do not apologize for it. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'll get I'll get my I already already more or less brushed up against this in terms of general energy, but I'll I'll say my sort of if there's a negative, um, and then just to have it in the air and we can move into all the fun. Sure, sure, sure. I do think for me, a forty one year old father of three with with a a quickly thinning capacity to stay awake during, <laughs> during media consumption. <laughs> You're like, oh my god! <laughs> Eight both, minutes I can do, but both, nine and a half is uh, both times. Billy and the old lady threatened seriously to put me to sleep, <laughs> which is not a knock against the piece. It's just. If they were even 30 seconds to a minute shorter, I think I could have held on longer. But um, so, yes, I, I am. I am knocking, but I'm saying it's not necessarily the piece. It's me. Here, sure. Hilarious yeah. interlude here. <laughs> we, <laughs> my wife and I tried to start the show. Lupin. It's a, um, oh. mm -hmm. you know, French kind of heist piece. Uh, five episode, five or six episode thing on Netflix. And and I'm the one who said, hey, I think you would like this. And we watched the first one <laughs> and we started the second one the same night. And you would, you know, that meme that's like everywhere right now of Jason Momoa sneaking up on Henry Cavill. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Pretend I'm Henry Cavill. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, and behind me, the Jason Momoa has a bottle of chloroform, but like an industrial strength <laughs> bottle of chloroform. So I start the second episode of No. <laughs> you would like the image I have in my head of me is literally sitting on the couch and falling over to the side and then waking up when it's over. Like this is so it's a thing. It is a thing that I am struggling <laughs> with with fatigue and staying wow. awake for stuff. So oh, wow. all that to say, I wish Billy and the old lady talked a little shorter. That's it is not them, it is funny. me. Oh so, my gosh, that's funny. Uh, because, because I really wrestled each time I watched this with like, whoo, this, <laughs> this is a workout trying to just keep my eyelids. That's uh, hilarious. Open. You anyway, just got to pace so, the room. Just just walk around. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep keep going, old lady. Tell me about your son. Uh, <laughs> speaking tongues again. Um, <laughs> oh, but uh, so I, I, that is just me getting out of the way, just stating for myself. I really struggled with those two elements, even sure, though sure. the general exercise, I respect the hell out of. I'm like, yeah, y'all did that. You yeah, you did incredible. that. Uh, you, you literally had a single take, uh, more or less of her and Jen, then just the audio of him. Mm -hmm. Um, I do love that rhythm you were describing. Like this is one of those films where I kind of want, I kind of wish I want some behind the scenes. I want to like kind of 
not figure out as in crack the code, like I need to understand, but as in just, you gotta imagine the energy of the production was pretty awesome, right? Oh, like, of like course. Just, just sure. Some of the takes and as, as sort of weird on its face as his Everett's character is initially. And what I mean simply about that is he's the archetype of the, not James Dean, but that kind of cooler than cool kind of high yeah. school kid. You know, he's smoking the whole movie. Yeah. Very um, clipped speech delivery. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. just, yeah, exactly. That kind of archetype, which at first you kind of have to modulate to like, okay, let me kind of understand mm-hmm. the, the, the rhythm of the world that we're now in. But the ability and they do it explicitly in the long tracking shot through town, which is uh, unbelievable, but yeah, but the thought this is, this is what I'm trying to scratch at here is as a theater practitioner, Mm -hmm. um, who has directed casts Mm -hmm. and blocked and choreographed before what they pull off that has to all work in tandem with each other, namely and and very specifically, although it's it it manifests throughout the piece, but but very specifically in the gymnasium. Like what they mm. do from a production standpoint to make all those pieces fit. Like watching it last night, I was like, okay, what what was the direction here? Did they choreograph a whole game? Did they just say, okay, you guys play an actual game of basketball? Oh, interesting. Wow. Right, right, you know right. what I mean? Like that's yeah, where sure. my brain goes of like, not, I want to know how the sausage is made, but just like, man, I'm so impressed with mm-hmm. what they pulled off here. How did you do that? Um, it's, it's, it's a magic act. They, they yes. pull off a magic act in this film of, of how they do, they, they know when to press in, uh, rhythm and pace wise, they know when to pull out. And what I was trying to get to a minute ago, see, you got me all ramped up too. No, now see, I got my, my, my mouth negative out of the way. <laughs> but what I love is, uh, what came to my mind a minute ago was when the old lady is telling her story, you've seen it twice now, but it's, it's, it's the most subtle things. It's the lighting, but oh when it God. cuts a, the, this character in him who, you know, both of them occupy again, this very archetypal, sort of character role Mm -hmm. um, when it cuts back to them while she's talking and just, you just have these two performers in a scene listening intently to their scene partner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just this, it's like someone listening is like, Oh, why is that important? I don't know why that's important. I just know it's impactful. Yes. And everyone is bringing their a game and mm-hmm. their A game is more A game than a lot of the movies with five, 10, 15 times the budget. And it's just Couldn't agree hella more. impressive. And, and to that end, I mean, uh, uh, only to stack up moments like that from this film, not to diminish, you know, the one that you just identified, but also when Billy is telling his story and it's not the dark blank screen. Uh huh. The moments that it's on Everett's face, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, man, the the task. What what might not be obvious is that if a performer is interesting to watch, they are they are to a large degree responsible for that. I think a lot of times people think, oh, you're just going to put the camera on there and no. they're automatically going to be interesting to watch. That not is a given. N- no, that is not the case. 
And so while it may, for instance, that nine and a half minute shot that we keep talking about with Sierra McCormick. Faye, yeah, yeah, the character with, Faye, yeah. yeah, the character of Faye. That like her, the, the weight she has to pull for that moment to work is tremendous. And it would be right. super easy to get a little reductive and say like, oh yeah, they're just, they're pointing the camera on her and she just has to sit and listen and remember her lines and remember her cues. But no, it's exactly what you're talking about. She has to be so in and of that moment that every subtle, because the camera is just like right here. It's just right mm-hmm. up on her. And every thought has to be visible on her face in a way that's not gaffing for the screen because it's really easy to overplay that. But then maintain kind of this fish line precision of of saying like, yeah, but but I have to stay engaged. I have to stay in the moment. And I have to make sure that I am reacting intently to what's being given to me, what's being said to me without overreacting to everything. And that is that is precision work. I mean, this reel for Horowitz and McCormick is going to be I, I really am excited to see them do more stuff because even just their presence in this film is so entertaining and so galvanizing, uh, most especially in the moments where they just have to listen and focus the other side of the fence that I want to talk about, and it's a little bit more noticeable in Billy's story than in The Old Woman. Um, I can't remember. Is she Miss Mabel or something? I can't remember yes, exactly Yes, that name. sounds right. Yeah. But um, the the voice work. Um, you had mentioned earlier, and if if I knew this, I had forgotten it, that the con- the concept was rooted in you know, a, a minimalization of visual and a focus on audio. And can we yeah. do that? Um, the voice work by the actors portraying Billy and Miss Mabel, which is is worth saying. Bruce Davis is the voice of Billy. Um, and then I'm looking right now to see if I can find the cast member. Gail, Gail Cronauer. Gail Ms. Cronauer, Mabel. okay. So the two of them, the again, the the quality of their voice, just the way their voice sounds, and the precision of their delivery is, I mean, you mentioned theater. I mean, it's, it's, it is really, really strong. And I think it would be super easy. What makes this, um, I, I might have referenced this on the show before, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of, of the music and the writing of the artist Michael Card. He's been a kind of a, a, a contemporary uh, artist of religious and, and worship music for probably gosh, 40 years now, plus, maybe even 50. Um, But one of the things that he has said about creativity is he said there are two kinds of genius. There are the kind of genius that when you view their work, you think, I could never do that. And it cripples your creativity because you look at it and they're just staggering. Maybe like a Daniel Day-Lewis or something. You're just like, I I could never do. I could never pull off what he pulls off. So Mm -hmm. I'm not even in that league so, so I'm probably not even going to try. And as impressed as you are by them, you just they just don't. Uh, it doesn't energize you. Then there is an, and this is so inspiring to me. There is another brand of genius where they do it with such exceptional craftsmanship that you say, "I bet I could do that," and mm. you don't realize the subtlety and the craft that did go into what they pulled off. And I feel that way about right. almost all 
of the vast of night. Is well, that, I think it's that's energizing a, to that a version of what I was trying to describe a minute ago. It's not that I want to know how the sausage is made. I want to, I want to help make the sausage. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, get me in like, there and let me do this. That. Is awesome. Yeah. Let's do yes. some more of this. You yes, know? absolutely. Um, and it is genius. I mean, like I, you know, I kind of just brushed past that word, but like, I, I think it's, I think it really takes a, a certain degree of genius to be able to pull that because off. Because what's fascinating is you like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this through in real time here, but I think it's written such that I don't even mean just the monologues, but the whole piece is written such that you could just listen to it. Like you, like which, which says even more about the meticulous nature of the visuals is absolutely. You could have just done the, the, you know, low budget, you know, uh, clearly cardboard sets version of this (laughs) and still had a strong script. A, yeah, a strong screenplay, but the fact that they raised the game on the visual, I mean, you know, there, there are even rewatching it last night. It's like, I'm trying to look through if there's any real specifics that, that come up, but I mentioned the, the, the ball game, the, the, you know, kind of town wide tracking shot, but just the energy of each scene, the energy yes. of each setup, I mm-hmm. guess is a better way to put it, you know, just visually, you know, the lighting, yeah, all of it is what? highly considered and near perfectly executed. It's it's really staggering. No, absolutely. How that, they pull you it you off. know, the tracking shot that gets deservedly all the attention is the four and a half minute tracking shot through the town. That that absolutely deserves all of the attention. Um, if you if you haven't seen this movie. If you've seen the movie, you know what shot we're talking about. If you haven't seen this movie, uh, the, the movie's almost worth just queuing up and going about 20 minutes in so you could see that tracking shot or just kidding. Although I think you'll find the whole piece very arresting and, and engaging. Um, but even the tracking shot when they're walking from the parking lot of the ball game back to the switchboard where he leaves her and they're, mm-hmm. and they're walking and the cam- the camera's low and yeah. it's kind of zigzagging this is through the road. the conversation about the science journal? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're far away. They are, mm-hmm. you know, they're probably eight to ten feet in front of the camera, but the camera's just zigzagging around and there's these little subtle changes in lighting. You get to this mm-hmm. real, this real deep blue of, of a nighttime setting, but there's a little bit of light from, from a street light somewhere, you know, and they're, and they're continuing to make their way. And I just remember watching that and I'm just like, God, I am in another time yeah. and another yeah, place yeah, yeah. watching yeah. this. And that was so exciting. It was really, um, I, I keep using that word. It was very energizing to see what they're doing with this. Uh, and, and every aspect that you could point to as a singular element, the visual styling, everything from the, from the you know, cinematography to the lighting, all of that, the script itself, the actual words being said, right. tremendously clever. It's I started trying to catalog crazy. some of my favorite lines and stopped eight minutes in because I couldn't keep I couldn't keep <laughs> writing down every line yeah, of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. But, but I will say, because it is one of the ones that I wrote down earlier on, he's like, Faye, I didn't get a word of what you said. You sound like a mouse being eaten by a possum. I'm, I'm like, That's, and it just, it just flies right through, you know, very funny line. Um, so, but the, the actual words being said are tremendous. The vocal delivery of those words being said is fully of the I moment. I didn't pay attention to it throughout, although it was probably subconscious and subtle, but the score of the final run mm. is breathtaking. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Yes. Absolutely. And in fact, this is this, um, a thing I'll do these days. If I watch a film 
and I'm really taken with the score, I'll immediately see, oh, is that listenable? I, I couldn't find it, at least in Apple oh, Music. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. A, a, a collected version of the score here. You you reference a favorite line. Uh, there's a funny bit. Uh, and, and I'm with you, like, to pick the 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 summary statement the screenplay is pitch perfect is yes. about all you need mm-hmm. but i did love when they're going back and forth about the the prognostications in the science journal and he says well i believe train tubes and highways but tiny tv phones that's cuckoo <laughs> <laughs> it's so great it's so great um yeah it's wonderful so tell me do, do you have any real specific like i want to talk about these likes these dislikes not um, dislikes clearly no but. no dislikes and i mean that like sincerely i have uh, and and this is not to because i i hear and receive you know your your small subtle critique about the length of like billy and, and again, monologue. That's, yeah, yeah. that's a nathan thing i'm not even saying you know i, right, I may right, be right. in the severe minority there yeah i have uh zero dislikes for this film i i, I cannot find anything about this film not only that I don't like, but that doesn't extremely excite me. Um, I, I would, I think we've referenced at least in passing the broad strokes. I'm not, I don't think it's necessarily valuable for the sake of time to just go beat by beat of every single scene. And I almost could. So yeah, we can move on to like a couple of well, scares I've got, or if you've got, I am else. curious your scares, but I do, um, I, I don't know exactly how to order all this, but I, I don't have anything specific written down to say, but I'd, it'd be fun to have a conversation about the f- the final five minutes. Yeah. But sure. um, maybe my favorite scene both times in the film, partly because it's one of the few times where plot truly interrupts the proceedings, mm. if this makes sense, is his playback of the old lady's incantation oh, in the car when it puts the That's, driver in a trance yes, oh my god <laughs> it's is so amazing great. oh and, it's wonderful and just the first time i saw it it was very because unfair to the second viewing is you know okay certifiably extraterrestrials the first right. that first viewing it's like you know what is uh, i didn't know is this an alien movie i just didn't know right, you didn't know right so yeah. when that moment happens it is extremely arresting and very OMG. We've just, <laughs> we've just, we just turned a corner yes, in, in what this movie is or is about. And yes. so I just love that scene. God, um, fantastic. Oh my God. I don't have any scares written down other than, or not other than, but my last like was just about the final shot of the ship. But, but tell me some about some of your scares. Yeah. Or, so, or whatever you so do. Um, I wrote down that the, First time the sound comes through the radio brings up the energy, but my first legit scare is when they've gone to the library, they bring back the tape, they locate the tape, and then he goes very quickly back on the radio and says, okay, we're going to play this sound again. Billy, if this is a sound you heard, call us back, you know, everything like that. And then they mm-hmm. start playing it, and it's ma- I didn't pay attention to exactly how much time, but it's maybe 10 to 15 seconds, and all the power goes out. Yeah. And I remember, like, my heart kind of races a little bit in that moment where it's like, oh, crap, because the whole premise of this from Billy's story, which prompted them to go to the library and grab it, is that, like, they're not going to be up there long, you know? And so you're you're already kind of on the wavelength, if you're tracking with the film, you're already on the wavelength of they're trying to communicate something to someone somewhere. Right. right. And so when they start playing that tape and all the power goes out, and they've got some great 
shots of just like, you know, the lighter clicking real close up and then him scrambling to try to find the flashlight and everything. So lots of really, um, uh, again, sort of arresting and alarming kind of pieces there. So I wrote that down in scares just because I could feel my heart kind of pick up the pace a little bit with the suspense uh, when I was watching that, particularly the first time through. Um, the, uh, the next thing that I wrote down is what you just referenced, the tape of, of uh, when Gerald is driving and Gerald goes into a trance. That, that is, I had included that in my scares just because, like you said, like we've turned a corner not only narratively, but also the first time you watch it, I legit thought they're going to crash. That's that's how this movie is going to end. Is that they're going to crash and we're going to be left with this like oh the baby in the back seat. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. So yeah, that was a big scare for me. Uh, you're going to laugh. You're going to pr- probably tease me a little bit. That's okay. Don't do the, that. The, the don't third tell me one. what I'm going to do before. Don't I do tell something. me what I can't do. Um, the third scare for me is they're out in the field toward the end, and this is a great pivot into your discussion about the last five minutes. They're out in the field, and he looks and he goes, "Oh my god, they're here." And he just begins to, they just begin to drift a little bit. They're moving a little bit into an area where they think they can see where some of the lights are coming from. And again, great visual suspense because you can't see them at first. There's just this little like light, like uh, like lit thing in the distance that you're trying to kind of uh, figure out where the source of that lighting may come from. They move a little bit. And the moment that he finally, it, it, it stops, mm-hmm. like he he turns there's a visual where suddenly he turns and in the distance it comes into focus. Not the mothership, but the the smaller ship comes yeah. into focus. And it's just those lights in a kind of, you know, uh, noticeably ovular kind of formation. Mm-hmm. There's those little pinpoints of light in that little circle in the distance. And he turns and then that comes into crystal clarity. I don't know if you recall, and I can't remember when I would have said it on the show, but there was at one point I said I have this some somewhat irrational fear of looking into the sky and seeing something abnormal in it, uh, particularly of things like uh, if something were... I think I mentioned it on Devil's Backbone from that shot when the missile just falls out of the sky. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And, and that like sometimes when I'm looking up, particularly at a, at a night sky... And 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 am kind of get this anxiety that I'm going to see something abnormal in the sky, um, and uh, don't know where that comes from or what that is, but that is a fear that kind of recurs, you know, from place to I place. I just resent that you thought I would make fun of you for that. I'm, we're <laughs> Sorry. friends. Sorry, yeah, we are friends. It's, po- are it's friends. not a pile of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that being a a bit of a sort of a personal sort of uh, sure. thing that connects with me. So when he turns and sees those lights in the sky, that pushes all of my real world buttons where I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> like you know, walk out to take the trash out one night and suddenly see these little dot, you know, in, in the distance. Uh, so, so that moment is, is big on my scares of just like, cause that's also the moment where the film goes from being speculation on like, what is this sound and what is its power to like, Oh crap! That that like that's it. They're, they're right there. I never expected to see the craft uh, itself, the alien craft. And if it was aliens, I thought sure we would get some vague, distant like light in the sky or something like that. But right. when they just straight up show it to you, it is completely effective, completely alarming. Uh, it and so yeah, that's my final scare. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think there's a world where I could put that that last little run on a scares list, mm. uh, in part because I think it's just so haunting. Mm. I think for a movie that ultimately lands as 
uh, an, an extraterrestrial exploration, the fact that it's more haunting than, you know, than alien, for lack of a better word, yeah, sure, is really impressive to pull off that tone, mm. and and something that's just coming to me in real time, and 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 maybe has thematic resonance to it, though I don't have any hard themes written down here, is something that strikes me as I'm pondering the turn there is the, the presentation of the film is almost kids playing as adults, right? Mm, It's very mm, much mm, young people, uh, like the characters themselves, the actors themselves, uh, but young people speaking like mature adults and and engaging like they're in an adult world and they occupy that world. Mm-hmm. And to the point that I think with great intention, the retrieval of the baby at the end isn't just to have one more obstacle for the characters to do. It's some sort of signifier. It's some sort of metaphor for, you know, the proto man, woman, child mm, right, imagery right. Mm-hmm. such that then these kids in this adult world suddenly find themselves s- smack in the middle of the foreign and the strange. Yeah. And, and, absolutely. and there, I don't yeah. know, there's just something kind of interesting about that, that sort of trajectory, uh, that they've played at adult and then are forced into not that as adults, we encounter aliens. I don't mean that, but the unknown, the strange, the foreign, the inex, the unexperienced, mm. the, the mm. extraterrestrial to us, you know, that, which is right. Right. We can, we, when faced with extreme levels of uncertainty in our daily life, we don't have the self confidence to rattle off the pitter pat dialogue with our friends. Right. You know, like, of course. like sure. what's so haunting about that final five minutes is the silence of it for mm, what is yeah. otherwise an extremely talky movie. Not in a bad yeah. way. It just no, is. Right. Right. And, and the haunting nature of them in that grove and him turning back that image you're conjuring and pointing to the, the distance between them physically, mm, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's on a line. It's him looking through a meadow what that she's in the middle of. He's on the circumference of the other side is this smaller spaceship, but it's this score playing over it. They're separated from each other. And then he moves towards her in physical space. Right. And that's right. the last you see of them. Yeah. And, yeah. He hugs. I don't her. know. Yeah. yeah. As the okay, wind yeah, rises yeah. That's up. That's right. That's right. Know? That's right. Um, um, but yes, I was referring to the embrace. I'd forgotten the literal hug, but just yeah, the physical, yeah. the, the proximity to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we're left with them. And, and, and you've just, I'm, I'm sorry. If you no uh, no uh, no, I, I'm just following some thoughts. And if and and if, it, if it's okay, because I think this is scratching yeah, up to get please. to what interests me um, thematically about this film. But I think what you noted about the silence at the end, and I don't find it insignificant that the final image we are left with is footprints in the sand and a tape recorder that is just sort of left there. This symbol of audio recording, audio documentation that is not running not playing is just left there god only knows when this tape recorder out in the middle of nowhere is going to be found and what it's going to mean to whoever finds it but i think for myself i love the way you put this whole adults or kids playing as adults kind of thing and they're 
following on on a base level, this is simply a curiosity venture. I'm being very reductive when I say that, but the narrative of the film is just a curiosity venture. It's a it's a puzzle box. Oh, what we've, sure. we've heard this strange sound on the radio. Let's let's follow this thread of where it is. But look at the look at the energy even in one of the film's more humorous moments when like she shows up and and he uh comes to pick her up in the car from the library and and she looks with like this weird glee where she's just like I stole a bicycle. <laughs> you know like sure. they're very, they're very energized like ooh we're in the thick of it. You know, we're doing we're doing big things, you know, we're we're, right. we're solving big things and there's a, this this passion that kind of, you know, arises up out of that. And then uh also I I I completely agree with you the the decision to hey something has happened to my to the babysitter so we've got to protect the baby we got to grab the baby and take her with us um, and so that's something that uh, sort of elevates this uh, these notions of what what becomes advent what starts as adventure and curiosity becomes responsibility and 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 takes on a gravity that it didn't have before but then suddenly when you come to this kind of clarity of oh like his utterance i don't know if this is the exact line but his utterance toward the end of oh my god they're here it's almost one of the last things said in the film Mm -hmm. but oh my god they're here and i think that i would need to rewatch it to know this for certain but i think that might be the last line either of them says to each other is just when he looks off in the distance and says oh my god they're here that's it and I'm going to point for a second to go where I really want to go with this. I want to point for a second to um, Mabel's story and her hypothesis that the the line that I wrote down, I did write this down as a sort of a thematic consideration. She's talking about how these invisible forces up there are like influencing certain things and they're, you know, keeping us distracted, keeping us by exercising and, you know, trying to make us lose weight and everything. And then on broader levels, starting wars we can't understand and causing, you know, conflicts that nobody can really wrap their head around. And then the line she says is she says, there's no free will with them up there. And that just just really stopped me for a second. She said, yeah, there's no free will when they're up there. And what she's what she's identifying, what she's talking about is just the power of invisible influences, mm-hmm. um, which is something that, uh, you know, is, is an interesting subject to me in a lot of ways. NPR has a great podcast, a very humorous and fun podcast that's also very informative uh, called Invisibilia. Uh, also, there's another one like it, but not quite the same called Hidden Brain. And it, that's all and it's all talking about these things and ways that you, your perceptions, your outlook, your behaviors even are influenced in ways sure. that you probably wouldn't track and that you probably wouldn't uh, uh, wouldn't really grasp. And I think there's a, a starkness to the rapidity with which their dialogue, just like their dialogue is nonstop in right. the first 30 minutes of this movie. Like yeah. it's, they're just constantly uh, talking to each other over top of each other. There's lots of clamor and, and verbalization. And then to reach that silence at the end, I think there is something of a clarity that when we come to the degree of realizing as we navigate our lives, as we navigate our worlds, um, I think a lot of times, if I can put it simply, this film ignites thoughts in me about how we ourselves get in over our heads about Mm -hmm. certain subjects, about certain uh philosophies or about certain behaviors and we suddenly we have just 
we are too deep and too far into it before we really realize it. Um, because what started again as adventure and as curiosity might suddenly pivot to where we feel like, well, I have a, I have a responsibility now to follow this. I have a, uh, a, this, this is now the most important thing that I'm doing. And, and, and I'm not even saying that Faye and Everett do anything wrong here. Um, I don't, I don't think honestly, depending on how you view the ending of the film, uh, I, I don't think that, that it's honestly like a tragedy or, or anything like that. I think it's definitely haunting and frightening to the degree that they followed this trail all the way to its end. And all we know is they're gone at the end. Right. Obviously, presumably abducted by the aliens, but like Mabel's son, are they ever going to return? Are they going to be deposited back at some point? Like are the they film- space dust? <laughs> yeah. The film doesn't tell us. Hence, we can presume the film doesn't care that that's not really the point. The point right. is they have led us to this place and, or, you know, they've followed the trail to this place and now they're gone. And I feel like uh, without a, a nice big bumper sticker to put on it, the film energizes me to think about the ways in which it is very, very easy for things to get away from us. And we are suddenly mm-hmm. in very, very over our heads. Uh, my kind of final statement before I pivot to you and your thoughts on this is just the, you know, Billy's monologue of, of Everett asked, why are you telling me this? And Everett's just like, I, I, I don't know. I think it's because I'm sick and because nobody will listen to us, you know, and uh, yeah, Billy says that Billy says that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy says that because Everett asks him, why are you telling mm-hmm. me the story? And Billy said, I think it's because I'm sick, you know, and because nobody will listen to us. And then eventually says, you know, and, and think it's because I'm black. You know, and uh, and he talks about that and that marginalization. And then Mabel even, uh, you know, her own end game for it is, you know, she wants to go and she wants to be back with her son and everything. So she shares this whole big story. And I just uh, I don't know it, it. I think there are ways that we ourselves feel in more control than we really are. And absolutely. And we can think I'm navigating this. I'm being intentional about this decision. And it could be exciting. I stole a bicycle. I, you know, I stole a car or whatever. Like it could be really exciting. And, and uh, oh, it's over there. We're going to see. It's, it's in the sky. Let's go. Let's run to it. Let's find it. Right. And we think we're in control. And we think we have a good grasp on the parameter and the risks of what's involved. Only to find ourselves irreversibly in over our heads in this crystal clarity of like an, Oh my God, they're here moment. So anyway, can I I lay something on that? Um, So uh, there's an easy way to take this, the the direction I'm not intending in terms of, you know, current COVID precaution climate, but Mm, mm. on even in the spirit of what you're saying and how we can chase ends uh, innocently that can inadvertently result in destructive paths or, or, you know, isolation, mm. even Mabel identifies the notion that they want us separated. They oh, want us right. apart. Mm-hmm. And all the, the, the thematic punch I'm trying to apply there is simply the notion of our best selves and best work and best thinking is in concert with others and in relationship with others. And Mm -hmm. so that notion of splintering 
uh, off from that it may, that makes you quote unquote easy prey. You know, there's, there's places you can go with that, but you know, I have to check myself sometimes because something I may have even said this on the show before, but my wife and I, as we begin the conversation with the kids about, uh, they don't have any social media accounts. It will hopefully be quite some time before that, uh, happens. And, and as at the present, neither of them have a dedicated, like they don't have a phone. There's a family iPad. They have Kindles, but you know, we've intentionally kind of downplayed the kind of their Kindle fires that they got three or four years ago as, as you know, kind of kid games and stuff. So, so there's a, uh, at least a slight limit on what they can engage Mm -hmm. from that standpoint. And, I've done enough reading. Here's what blows my mind, Reed. I'll personalize it and not because of where I was going with about my kids, which wasn't to to uh, naysay, but to I'll, I'll I'll try to steer it back this way. To your point about when we're in over our head, Reed, I've done more reading about the dangers of dangers, the wrong word, but about the cautionary aspect and the cautionary approach we should have to technology. I've read multiple books. Uh, I've, I've watched the documentaries. Like I know intellectually, Mm -hmm. rationally to exercise extreme caution in the face of the allure and pull of digital technology. And yet still I don't abide it very well. Right. Understood. Point yeah. to your point, like the ways these things can entice and allure even under the pretext of just curiosity and investigation mm-hmm. can sometimes be perilous. Yeah. And it just takes, it takes more than we're individually capable of mm-hmm. to maintain in Mabel's words, free will. Yes. If that makes any sense, which, no, which always makes me think of like, you know, there, there's so many ways I think at risk of heresy here, we've over spiritualized the teachings of Jesus, right? Mm. Like, mm. and where I'm going with this is, uh, you cannot serve two masters. My yoke is easy, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, we want that to be this just universe shattering sort of statement when really it's, Hey, Nathan, you're going to drown if it's not me Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. with you and, and, and is the focus of your energy and attention. You're going to drown. It's going to happen. Like, yes, I'm just trying to help you and ward you off from the places that are going to, uh, suffocate you. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not even me telling, it's not even me chastising you, Nathan. It's me telling you your nature is not strong enough to resist the things that will pull you towards them. And so, and so that's what I mean by the way we over spiritualize things. It's like, well, that's extremely practical, (laughs) you know, let me follow the good servant, uh, uh, the, the suffering servant, because I know he has my interests, well-being, wholeness and, and best at heart. And there's a, hell of a lot of things in this world that want my destruction (laughs) and and want my enslavement to them. Absolutely. anyway, so it's just fascinating the ways we can sort of hyper 
overdo it and just yes. be like, no, it's it's extremely practical. <laughs> yes, and, and I just want to, I want so desperately to just like give a bit, you know, big uh, across technolo- technological airways, a big high five. Um, I want to affirm so much because further validation for what you're saying, which is why Jesus uh, regularly got frustrated when people didn't grasp what he was saying. Right. You know, he tells Nicodemus that you must be born again and Nicodemus is like, am I like, am I going to enter my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus even looks right at him. It's like, you're a teacher of the law. You don't understand this? Like, right, 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 right. You know, it's like there were several times where Jesus, after delivering one of his Proverbs, would look either at his followers or the people listening to them and be like, you know how to read the signs of the sky and the earth, and you you don't know how to read the signs of the times? Like, you don't know this? And he wasn't, I deeply believe, he wasn't being insulting or telling them they were stupid. I think to your point, he was trying to say, guys, this is not complicated. This is not right. <laughs> right. This is not foggy, misty. Love you know, the Lord like, your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Come on. <laughs> like, and, and, and I think. Can't get no respect. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I step onto an elevator. The guy looks at me and goes, basement. <laughs> so, <laughs> but so like. I feel like there's so many ways, and this is, oh my God, the things that have happened to so many religious, we talked last week in more mm-hmm. heavy ways about the susceptibility of people to embrace wildly irrational theories right. and the the correlation between sometimes very hyper-spiritualized, hyper-religious perspectives that would embrace those kinds of things. And I feel so passionate about this subject of the the necessity that we have to have to recognize that he literally told us <laughs> that a child could understand and enter into this. Mm-hmm. Literally told yeah. us that this is simplistic enough that children could grasp it, that they will likely grasp it before you will. Because we are so baked in on our need to complicate things and our need to, you know, this. And, and we are drifting a, 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 a bit from like the text of the film. But again, this is this this film brings up all these thoughts about the ways we can just we are too the current has pulled us now. Right, and right. by the time we look back and realize how far from the shore we are, it is too late. There is no, there is right. no way now that we can and untether ourselves and, from this. And again, the text of the film, there's haunting resignation to that fact. Yes, it's like, oh my we're, god, we're here, yep. we're out there. They're, they're yes. here. Yeah. Uh, oh my yeah. god, they're here. Absolutely. And and I feel like if we don't, and I've, I've had to express this to people sometimes in social media debates, sometimes face to face, sometimes phone conversations. I've had to stress to people like the road you're walking down mentally. The path you're treading mentally is overwhelming. That that road lies only destruction and death. Like if you start going down that road. One small example is the identification of hypocrisy. I know this is going to sound like a really big subject. Like, oh, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> talk about getting <laughs> it out of your head. <laughs> but the ways in which some people will try to police hypocrisy. And what I mean by that is, to give a practical example is the, but they do this, but them this, but what about that? The whataboutism of everything, where you start to try to police hypocrisy of it. 
And I can recognize that that is an endless game. Because to something that I said during our watching, reading, listening section, everybody's going to have crap going on. Like right. every everybody's going to have things they should apologize for. Everybody's going to have some things that maybe they should have some applause. And maybe there are some individuals who deserve almost no applause because they've not done anything of substantive good value. And maybe there's some people who deserve very little criticism. But everybody's going to have something. Everybody's going to have something that you could point to that would say, you know, this is a fraction of this effectiveness or a fraction of that. And to that end, when we try to, uh, like, in that subject, when we try to, like, Again, policing is the only word that comes to mind when we try to police the hypocrisy of those who we don't disagree, who we disagree with. There was a line in of all things. I watched that. Show. I don't know if you watch this show, but uh, there's a comedy starring Tim Allen called Last Man Standing. You watch that show? No. Or have you heard about that show? Very funny uh, show. Was it a stand-up show or was it like a sitcom? It wasn't a no, sitcom. No, it was a sitcom. Right? Yeah. It was oh, a sitcom. oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it was a sitcom, and it's it's been running for like like eight or nine seasons. Uh, but it's in its last season right now. And so it's the a, last season standing. Last season standing. That's exactly a clever girl. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, so there was this um, there was this line recently in it, and I actually don't even remember this quote from Art of War. But Tim Allen's character at one point in talking about conflicts and how conflicts escalate, mm-hmm. he said that apparently Sun Tzu's The Art of War says, "Choose your enemies wisely, for you will come to resemble them." True. And when I heard that, I don't remember if that's from The Art of War or not. It's been years since I read that book. I don't even know if I if I read all of it. I don't remember. But if that parable, <laughs> which rings remarkably true, choose your enemies well because you will come to resemble them. And it's like you start thinking along these lines of like, oh, yeah, if I engage too much of that of that complex kind of, you know, I'm going to outwit them, I'm going to... Uh, you know, overpower them or, or something like that. And and we overcomplicate things in our own mental constructs. And I feel like so much of the things that Jesus was trying to say to us, that wisdom and truth would try to echo through nature and try to echo through the the seasons of history to us. It's very, again, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm taking the scenic route to affirm it is very, very simple. And it is so simple that we are far more without excuse than we'd like to believe we are for not sure. having grasped it. And we and and when when Adam and Eve in the garden sit there and say, but but she gave it to me. But the serpent, but you know, like all of this kind of stuff. This was very, very simple. And you got in over your head, and truth would state, I'm in over my head, I'm drowning. I need to right. scale back from this. The yeah. scales need to fall off of our eyes. We need that reckoning to to realize, like, oh my God, they're here, and hope. Hopefully, we can come to a kind of a clarity of that, distance ourselves, unplug, decompress from the from the train that we're on that continues to. Because I've seen it happen. I keep trying to wind down, and it keeps <laughs> rising back up in me. I've seen it happen. The vast of read. The vast of read. I've seen it happen where somebody starts down a path and I can hear the anger in their voice. I can hear the anger in their voice when they're talking politics or when they're talking uh, churchy stuff or when they're talking about personal relationships. I can hear it. And I can almost, if this is a possible thing to, to an appropriate sort of sense to put on it, I can almost smell 
the two years from now version of them where now that's all they're putting out into the world. Sure. And they're justifying it by saying, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell the truth and this is the truth. And this is what it is. And you realize like, Oh my God, what happened to you? Like what happened? It, 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 it used to be so saturated with grace and it used to be so saturated with wisdom and self-reflection. And now it is just this. Now it is just a monolith. But don't you think that this is, uh, we can, in, we can indulge maybe this question for a moment and then, then, uh, fog meter it up, but yeah, yeah, it's gonna, it's a, I, I, I'm worried that in asking this question, all I'm doing is propping up another, other out there to blame. So mm, uh, mm. I, I'm aware that that may be the case, but is it just me who sits around watching Christians eat each other in the world who thinks what did, how did we get this so wrong yeah and no i understand and more than that wonders as far as church history and trends and and sociology of the church how we 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 grew so convinced it's either halos or red horns mm. that we never took into account just living an abundant life. Mm. Like, like mm-hmm. it's, I'm not going to say it's not about spiritual, a spiritual dimension to our lives. That's, that's not what I'm saying, but dead gum. Like the, the degree to which, Christians will froth at the mouth for, for an enemy Mm. while, while their loved ones are, are ignorant to, I I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, except that it blows my mind sometimes that we don't know how to live in our own space and in our own place and in our own bodies and in our own spirits. Um, right, 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 because, right, right. because we bought some lie somewhere and it's a big one that it's always and forever about something other than us. Mm, mm. And, and, and that makes it sound like I'm saying it's about us. That's actually not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's about the ones in your orbit and, and right, caring for right. them well and learning how to be a loving, compassionate person. Like how weird is it that being a loving, compassionate person, we pawned off on self-help, not realizing Jesus wants you to be a loving, compassionate person, right? Like an, a, right. a loving, compassionate human, right. not some spirit that, that ascends, uh, potentially maybe right. after right. you die, like be a loving, compassionate human, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these, these, these tenets of, right relationship that we've abandoned right. in the name of in the name of joining an army and it's yes. bullshit excuse no. me no 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 it's it, that's exactly right and and the uh, like again i get i keep getting back to the frustrations that jesus expressed in scripture when the, these religious leaders kept calling him and his followers out for doing stuff on the Sabbath. He's like, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yes. Like, you yes. know, like you keep calling us out with it because of these machinations. You think people bow down to that? It's why he eventually like unloaded a tirade of woes against the Pharisees where um, that kind of complex religious mindset that binds people up. He said, you'll go out, work super hard to make somebody uh, one of your servants and make them more a servant of hell than you are. Like, that's pretty Mm. volcanic language, and that's from Jesus. Bring it, Jesus. (laughs) 
<laughs> like tell him Jesus. So so and that's the that's the thing that I think it is our complexity. It so arrested me when you said like no you're not the only one who sits there and watch watches fellow Christians just eat each other alive over stuff. And and the kind of thing, and, and 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 don't hear, listener, what I'm not saying, which is that we should not hold one another accountable to but dangerous we've ideologies. Off that, I mean, oh, you, it's, I, I it's applaud your efforts for diplomacy just then, my my brother, my friend, <laughs> sure, sure, my, my life partner in so many ways. But you know, yes. we at this point we don't need to be encouraged to keep account. Sure. Yes. Know. No. Absolutely. It's it's gone far too far from that. So, uh, in the interests of because. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, affirming in the interest of time. <laughs> so can I illustrate your point and echo us into the fog meter with something lighthearted uh, by sharing a joke that that Please, I read? especially yes. if it's Fanny. Okay. No, it's not Fanny. Okay. Um, so there is recently, and you could find this if you look this up. There's a comedian by the name of Emo Phillips, and he wrote down. I think that there was a joke about 20 years ago. That he had crafted for a stand-up routine, and it was cited by some sort of publication as the as probably the greatest joke about religion ever conceived by a comedian. And I have to agree, it's the greatest joke about religion that I've ever heard. So this is from Emo oh Phillips, and I'm uh, reading reading this. Uh, Did you go into this conversation prepping to share this? No, no. Oh, okay, I, I, I was no, like, this is up. an odd, odd. You know, and rather uh, concrete thing to throw in here at the <laughs> no, end. No, no, no. Like- no, so it, it, I, I thought of this joke moments into what you said, and I knew that it was going to be a very easy lookup. So I just pulled up Emo Phillips' religion joke, and I'm sure. going to share. I'm going to share it with you right now um, because this is one of the greatest bits of of comedic craftsmanship, you, and so profound. I'm, I'm ready. All right, here we go. So once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, and I said, don't do it. And he said, but nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or are you a Jew? And he said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist? I said, me too! Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too! Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too! Northern Baptist, uh, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> That's the end of the show. <laughs> so, and and what I think Woo! is what I think is super Splash. brilliant. I know, but what I think is super brilliant, if it's not obvious about this joke, is just the ways we complicate things. When sure. in point of fact, what starts and and I don't know Emo Phillips's personal life. I just know this is a freaking genius piece of religious commentary because what starts as nobody loves you, yeah, you're loved, becomes die heretic in seconds you know it's like it's hilarious because of its absurdity but at the same time presents a pretty profound amount of truth about how somebody can get way over their heads in that kind of thought or any other strains of thought comparable to that that having been said emo felix joke on the table 
You want to go to the want to go to the fog meter? Want to tell the listeners what the fog meter is all about for the vast of night? The fog meter, our unique metric on how we rank our films based on a uh, parameter of fear, how scary a thing is, and God, how substantive a thing is. Uh, I'll go first on the vast of night for fear and say, in a general sense, it's just not. I mean it. It checks a lot of like atmospheric sci-fi boxes sure um i'm going to give it because of what reveals itself to be a pretty haunting undercurrent by the end i'm gonna be a little generous and give like a five but in a general sense it's not a scary movie yeah and i don't i don't disagree with that assessment i feel like it's um i think i'm gonna land with you on a five because it's actually in a lot of ways what I would ding it for fear, I would pivot over into energy recommending it because I, I feel like it's a very accessible film. It's not something that people have to. In fact, when I recommended this to some friends of mine, the the wife in that in these friends said, I'm really nervous about scary movies. And I said, no, 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 this is not a movie that's going to give you nightmares. Like it's a, it's an exciting film. It's an interesting film. It's not something that you're going to walk away uh, sort of feeling nightmarish about it. And in point of fact, she watched it and enjoyed it and, and, and had and, a nightmare. And and then yeah, she's in she's in therapy right now. So I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um. So so yeah. So that's uh. So yeah, that's that. Uh. I I land with you at a five. Substance meter is tough for me. Uh. Because I feel like this film uh invokes by its style and by the things it does have in its narrative layers. Uh. Some pretty interesting and provocative things. I don't necessarily feel like those are the intention of the film. Uh, so I'm going to land kind of at a seven for the God meter on this. Well, you echoed me. I'm going to echo you, Riri. Me too. Uh, (laughs) Me too. I'm going to, I'll go with a seven because it is not only style and no substance, but there is a hell of a lot of style here. Yes, Um, absolutely. uh, You know, a a, a decent amount of swagger. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think what substance there is, is more left to the viewer to kind of, explore and suss out understood no absolutely understood um and that means that we give the vast of night directed and co-written by andrew patterson six out of ten on the fog meter serviceable rating um but the big question is do you recommend the vast of night absolutely i think it's an extremely engaging film exercise which sounds analytical but it's also just a fun hang just know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just know there's, there's just two monologues. Just buckle up. They're, <laughs> a bit, they're a bit long. If you can get, you know, just, just hold on tight. You'll get yeah. to them. Yeah. They other are other each... than that. And again, sincerely, that's, that's more just being jokey, but uh, in yeah. terms of just the energy, it, the film engenders, uh, it's pretty amazing and, and highly yeah. recommendable. Yeah. I, I cannot recommend this film highly enough. I think, it is utterly essential viewing for science fiction fans, utterly essential viewing for fans of unique and inventive cinema. Uh, for the casual viewer, uh, I think it is it is still something that I would strongly recommend. It's worth checking out, even if you walk away and go like, "Yeah, that was cool," and you know, even if that's as far as you get with it. 
Um, it is it is such an impressive piece of cinema. Energized me in the way that I can sometimes just get super super excited about films. Um, and so yeah, I I absolutely loved it. Uh, the Vast of Night. So uh, cool. that puts uh, uh, chapter two, if you will, of twenty 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 two point oh in the books. <laughs> Um, and so next week we're going to be doing the same Number thing. Number two. Number two. Um, next week we are going to be covering a film that at the time we made this slate of films, neither you nor I have seen. We have now seen it. Um, and uh, so next week we are going to be talking about a film by Jim Cummings. It made the top 20, uh, and, but we just kind of wanted to give ourselves a little surprise and see, hey, what, you know, what's something that we haven't covered at all? And uh, directed and written by Jim Cummings, it is Wolf of Snow Hollow. So check out next week, Wolf of Snow Hollow, and we will see you right back here for another one of these fun and hopefully lively conversations, as we say on every single episode. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It feels so good to be back doing this again. Really feels nice. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, people are saying there's something in the sky. So mm, keep watching the skies. That's right. That's right. See you next uh, week, everybody. If we bye. don't get abducted in the meantime. Ah! <laughs> bye, everybody. <laughs> me too. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.